Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, Paige Niedringhaus, and I am joined by Eli Lucas. Hi, how's it going? Good. So, Eli, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're famous? Oh, why I'm famous? I'm not famous. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, uh, I I do do stuff on the internet. So, yeah, my name is uh, Eli, and uh, I've been a software developer for a little over 20 years now. And I work at uh, Ionic and excited to talk today about uh, Ionic React, which is a project I've been working on for about the past uh, year and a half or so. And yeah, a bunch of good stuff there. But um, yeah, before that, just been doing software development. I love the development community. So getting involved with a bunch of stuff. I'm speaking at meetups and conferences and doing podcasts and all this kind of fun stuff. So yeah, I'm happy to be here. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. That's awesome. So I'm a little bit familiar with Ionic in general, but for anybody who's not, could you give us a brief overview of what it is, why you might use it? Right. So Ionic is a mobile UI tool. It's a UI toolkit that is meant to develop mobile applications. And it's meant to empower web developers so that they could use their existing skills to um, develop in JavaScript, HTML, CSS to create applications that look like they run and feel and belong on mobile devices. So uh, we got the Ionic framework and uh, um, Ionic's been around probably, I don't know, seven or eight years now. And the history behind it is that when they were first starting on it, they really wanted to make a framework that would be open to all web developers. And so initially, like what, um, the big things at the time were like uh, jQuery and AngularJS was coming on the scene and they wanted to make like versions Ionic that would like work with all of them. Uh, but that was turning out to be like really hard. Basically, they're having to rewrite it for each of the different frameworks. And so we decided to put all of our chips onto the AngularJS bandwagon. And so we wrote the framework in AngularJS and it ended up being like a really good bet for us because AngularJS's popularity really took off and we kind of rode that wave. And then when um, Angular 2 came out, uh, we kind of followed suit and we wrote Ionic in Angular 2. Um, around this time, though, we were like, wow, this is a really big task to try to keep up with the frameworks and the churn that the frameworks have. And around the same time, we were um, taking a look at like what was going on inside of uh, the web development ecosystem and web components were starting to come around. And we really took notice and we're like, hey, if we, if we actually write Ionic Framework and straight up web components, we can write um, small wrapper libraries around each of the individual ones. Uh, each of the individual frameworks. And then we can have our core framework and we won't have to change that as a new version of a framework comes out. And so that's what we did with version four, which uh, came out last year. Uh, version four we released and we're like, okay, now what can we do next? And we're like, okay, let's work on Ionic React and bring Ionic to the React developer community. Because before like we had like this really big following in the Angular community, but we kind of lo- lost a few people. Like they were on AngularJS and they went to... Angular 2, and some people were like, well, I don't know if I want to continue with Angular. Let's go to React instead. And so uh, what we're finding is like we're bringing a lot of those people back that uh, were with us in the AngularJS days back as Ionic React developers again, which is really exciting. That's awesome. So 
you support Angular and React. Are there any thoughts to support Vue or Svelte or any of these other frameworks that are starting to rise up? Yep. So we have a beta version of Ionic Vue that mm-hmm. is out right now. And uh, we recently had our own Ionic conference and we announced at uh, the Ionic Conf that uh, we're going to be putting in a lot more time and investment into Ionic View, and we're hoping to have it out probably by the end of fall, I think is the latest estimate that I heard. So for those of you that are eagerly waiting Ionic View, it's it's coming pretty soon. Very cool. So what are some of the things that you get to do on a daily basis? Like you said that you started working on Ionic React. How much did that differ, I guess, from you know either building web components or from building the Ionic Angular versions? Yes, so Ionic React takes the Ionic core web components and it puts small wrappers around each of the web components that make it look and feel like a React component. And so when you're in your IDE and you're using them, you actually import each of the components individually. And you use them just like you would any other type of React component, uh, setting props on them and writing JSX and whatnot, mm-hmm. versus like a regular web component is just an HTML tag. And a lot of times with those, you don't get any um, anything like from your editor, like oh, code, auto code, yeah, mm-hmm. code completion or anything like that. But with the Ionic React components, you get all that stuff around it. So it gives the developer a first-class like developer experience for developing in React. So it sounds almost like a component library, like if I was using a design library like Ant Design or Bootstrap or something like that. Is that a good way to kind of think about it? Yeah, I think it's kind of fair to say that it's kind of like Bootstrap but for mobile. And we do we do a lot more stuff than just like UI components. Like we also provide the page transitions and me- and the mechanisms that make it look like um, it belongs on a mobile device. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that we do is depending depending on if you are going to run it on an iOS device or an Android device, we actually change the UI to look like it goes on the device that it belongs. Mm-hmm. And so if you're on an iOS device, you're going to get like iOS page transitions and animations and the buttons are going to look like they belong on all those different systems. And then if you go over to an Android device with the exact same code base, it's going to look like a, a material design type interface with their tab components and their animations that you get when you click on tabs and buttons and all that kind of fun stuff. That's awesome. So were there any particular obstacles that you ran into while you were trying to write React wrappers and make this React friendly? I think the biggest thing was like, how, how do we make sure that for the wrappers themselves, how do we get the web components to properly communicate with um, React because mm-hmm. React kind of has a backstory that it's a little harder to work with uh, web components. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we've definitely put some time in figuring out like how to write the best type of wrapper around a web component. And actually a, a lot of the community has taken notice of like what we do with this and have followed suit and writing their own wrappers around React components. And I'd love to that. hear like what your strategy is because we've encountered some similar issues and not come up with very good solutions on my own team. Yeah, so one thing you need to do is make sure that you correctly map the properties that you pass into a React component back down to the web component. And then you need to be a little bit smarter, like, okay, am I mapping a property or am I mapping an attribute? Um, so those get uh, down as well. And then if your web component fires off any events, like how do you 
bring those back up and manifest those as properties that people can subscribe to as props on your React components. Um, the way that we actually accomplish this, so when we started writing, well, when we started to write Ionic 4 and, and straight up web components, we came up with our own web component compiler called Stencil. And uh, so Stencil is a way that you can write web components, but it kind of takes the pain out of just writing raw web components. Mm -hmm. You get to use it. So Stencil is kind of similar to like a Svelte or a Lit Element or something like that. But it's kind yeah, of... A, this is oh, Chuck. I'm a little bit late, but Stencil is super cool. What's up, Chuck? How are you doing? Doing all right. Um, yeah, so we um, wrote Stencil. And so Stencil actually kind of takes care of the heavy lifting of wrapping the components for us. And if you, uh, and so, and Stencil is another project that we offer that is open source and um, you can use it for your own projects. And we have these uh, binding libraries for React and Angular. And I think Vue might have actually just came out as well. Um, so if you're writing um, your web components inside of Stencil, you can use these binding libraries that will automatically output the bindings for each of those particular frameworks so that you can use them inside of like an Angular app or React app, a Vue app, or so on and so on. Very cool. I'm, I'm kind of curious, at the risk of taking over a little bit, and I don't know if you've talked about this yet, but what's what's the relationship then between Stencil and Capacitor? So they're uh, uh, two different projects, and Capacitor is what we like to call our native layer. And so Ionic sits in this realm of hybrid web development, right? And before we had Capacitor, uh, we relied on another um, project called Cordova. And Cordova was a way that you can use that would, if you wanted to wrap up a web application into a native binary and deploy it onto the app stores, you could use Cordova to do so. And Cordova also provided some native bridging. So if you wanted to access device hardware, like the camera accelerometer, contacts, you know, all that kind of fun stuff that is on a physical device, there was libraries of plugins that you could use to do that kind of stuff. So Capacitor is kind of Ionic's reimagining of Cordova, bringing it up. Um, Cordova was really great for a long time. It's done a lot of good stuff, but it is feeling a little bit, how to say it, like old in the tooth. And so Capacitor is kind of a, a little bit more of a modern developer experience for doing this native layer. And it also provides an API. So we, we provide an API through Capacitor. So when you're accessing um, particular pieces of um, device hardware that you can write to those things once. And depending on what platform you deploy it on, it's the same code that you're using. So for instance, if you're writing an Ionic React application, you're using Capacitor and you want to access the camera. Well, there's actually web APIs that are out there that will allow you to access the camera. And so you can use Capacitor's camera API. And if you deploy your app as like a progressive web app, the Capacitor API will talk to the web API. But if you deploy your, your Ionic app as an iOS or an Android device, Capacitor will use the native device APIs to access the camera. Um, but you don't have to worry about that. You write to one API, and that kind of helps your code base be reusable across all the different platforms. That makes sense. So essentially, when you're writing an Ionic app, you're writing React, which sits on top of Stencil, and then Stencil runs kind of the web portion of it and then calls out to Capacitor when it needs to do native stuff. Correct, yeah. But as, a, as an Ionic React developer, you don't have to worry about the Stencil pieces. The Stencil right. is just what we use to write Ionic Framework. Very cool. So could you potentially use uh, Ionic React if you were using TypeScript or JavaScript? Yep, so at Ionic, we are huge, huge fans of TypeScript. And so 
um, Ionic React is written in TypeScript. And when you start up a project using our CLI, the default is TypeScript coming out of the box for all, all the projects, whether it's Ionic React or Angular or Vue. And, uh, you can also, use, if, if um, you're not a, a um, TypeScript person, um, you can also use uh, plain JavaScript as well. Always good to have that option. Great. <laughs> I would actually uh, be interested. I, I don't know if I have um, stats around this about how many people are, are doing Ionic React and just plain JavaScript. That would that'd be an interesting stat. That'd be a, yeah. yeah, that would be an interesting stat. Did you did you start out knowing TypeScript or how long did it take you to get ramped up? So um, myself, like uh, a lot of developers out there, uh, jumped into TypeScript with uh, Angular 2. Before that, so back before I was a front-end developer for most of my career, I was a um, back-end C-sharp developer. And then I got into the front-end. I'm like, okay, I really understand JavaScript. And when TypeScript first came out, I was kind of like, okay, I see TypeScript as Microsoft's way of trying to bring C-sharp developers into the front end and to be able to write their front end code kind of like they write C-sharp. That's how I viewed it initially. And I was like, okay, well, TypeScript's cool, but it's not for me. I'm I'm happy in JavaScript over here. But when I started doing Angular 2 and seeing like how the benefits that TypeScript started to give you as a developer in your IDE and finding and catching bugs and all that kind of stuff, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm a total convert. And <laughs> I'm at the point now, I'm like, yeah, if I'm doing a front-end project, I, I want it to be in TypeScript. <laughs> yeah. That's something that my team at work has, we've talked about it a little bit, but our application right now, which is a React one, is built completely with JavaScript. And I, mm -hmm. I just don't know if I'm ready to invest the time into learning TypeScript. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely a, a big undertaking to convert a, you know, a large app. I know TypeScript provides mechanisms that will allow you to move incrementally, but mm -hmm. I, I haven't uh, attempted that myself. So, <laughs> Yeah, the transition, I've talked to a number of people who have made it, and it sounds like for the most part, since JavaScript is valid TypeScript, you just run it all through the TypeScript compiler and it it does it to all of it. You know, it, it adds the uh, any annotations to basically most of your JavaScript and then doesn't do a whole lot else to it other than just validate it so yeah it's yeah. when you want the to transition is pretty straightforward yeah it's when, it's when you want to start like tweaking the levels of how much you want typescript to interfere that you have to go in and like make decent changes to your app to support it one thing that i'm curious about with ionic for react versus react native you know the approaches are a little bit different you know you're working on more of a you know use the web technology for your front end React is a React Native is more of a you what you write your React components, but then they you know they build a native interface. Uh, I'm a little curious because a lot of times people compare at least Cordova and React Native and talk about performance and and things like that. So so how does that stack up? I know that you're not using Cordova anymore; you're using Capacitor. So you know, are, are they pretty comparable for? performance and capability or are there instances where it's like well you got to go with react native or even swift or in other instances it's like look this would be way easier in, in ionic because you already know react and you don't have to go learn the differences between react and react native yeah so to, to jump into that conversation about kind of like ionic react versus react native a little bit our our, our stance is that we we believe in the web and using web technologies to develop applications react native 
goes that way to a certain point. So like in React Native, you use uh, JavaScript and CSS, mm -hmm. but then you don't use HTML. We fill that in with like, yes, use HTML as well. Our, our kind of stance on the performance viewpoint is like, if performance is your like number one priority for your app, then you should probably just be writing native code anyways, like in Swift or Java or something like that. While React Native could probably be a little bit more performance than Ion or React in your typical app, it's going to be like just something that like your end users are, are never going to notice. To compare like how Capacitor runs with Cordova, we take very similar approaches. And so basically we fire up a web view inside of the browser or ins um, inside of your app and lo load the app from the local device into that web, web view. And so performance between Capacitor and Cordova is gonna be uh, pretty close. But what we, uh, but a lot of the times, like a lot of Cordova apps aren't using Ionic, but in Ionic, we are laser focused on like trying to make the framework as performant as possible on a wide variety of devices. And so you kind of get that um, when you're using Ionic. The other thing is that it's probably uh, a bit easier in Capacitor to access access native features and devices. And so if you had to pop in and do something natively, it's probably a little bit easier to do that in Capacitor than what it was to do it inside of Cordova. And so like, you're like, okay, I just need this part to be native. It needs, really needs to be performant. And you go and you write the native code for that and then just initialize it through your Ionic application. Yeah, that makes sense. And for the most part, that's, I mean, that's the conclusion that I've come to. I've played with all three. You know, I, we have a, an iOS Swift podcast as well and uh, i hosted that for a lot of years um and I, I mostly dabbled even though i was a host on the show but between the three yeah i mean you get familiar with the ecosystem you figure out how it works react native and you know ionic cordova any of those yeah sometimes you just wind up dropping down and writing some native code but for the most part you get away with a lot and yeah unless you have a specific reason like you need 60 frames per second for a game or something like that. I found that, yeah, what you said is pretty much spot on. It just, it, it performs pretty much as well as everything else. Early on, it wasn't necessarily always the case. There were sometimes some scroll issues and stuff, but mm -hmm. that's all been solved. I, I really, I've, I've written some React Native apps and some other apps and you can't tell. The only way you can tell is if you like customize the interface so that it doesn't look like a regular iOS app, but people do that in Swift too. So Right. Yeah. And, uh, and a, lot of, a lot of our performance gains have come from just how, how much better the web platform is now than what it was just a few years ago. And yeah. So, between that and uh, the capacity of the phone, right? Because the processors are faster, the, you have more memory on the phone. And so any, any of those restrictions have yeah, pretty much gone away. And yeah, the web platform is getting better every year. Yep. Um, so a, a recent thing that is re refining is really helping with performance is um, the web animation APIs. Mm -hmm. And so with uh, Ionic 5, we actually released our own animation framework. And if you're interested in checking that out, uh, I'll throw a link down to a talk that um, Liam from our Ionic Framework team did on animations inside of Ionic Framework and how you just achieve some like really cool stuff, like stuff that you would you know, typically think of like a native application of doing, but he basically like recreated the Apple Wallet app and then kind of goes through like uh, how that does and like performance um, statistics around different animation libraries and just showing like how Ionic animations is like so much like faster than some of the other things out there. And not, not only uh, faster, but also more um, power efficient as well, which is a big deal, especially on mobile devices. 
Very cool. So is it using like the CSS Houdini and some of those other kind of less, less talked about, but upcoming animation APIs? Well, it's using the web animation standard API standard API that um, is implemented. in I think all the major browsers now, I think Safari was the the last holdout, but I think it recently got um, released in one of the later Safaris. Very cool. So Eli, you said you started out as a backend developer. How did you get to the front end then? Well, even even when I was doing backend development, I was still doing web development. Mm. And so back back in the day, you know, I was doing .NET, C Sharp, ASP.NET. Um, started off in, well, I actually started off in the classic ASP days. But when .NET came out, I quickly moved over to .NET and was doing web forms for years and years. And during that time, like the the idea of writing front end JavaScript was pretty scary because you had all these different browsers which implemented stuff different ways. You had to put a bunch of checks in. So like, hey, if I'm running IE, do this. If I'm running Netscape, do this. And so we, we just kind of let like the component vendors <laughs> write the JavaScript for us and then we use their controls. But the big thing that changed for me was uh, jQuery. When jQuery came out and kind of like the whole web web 2.0 era, like making Ajax requests back to the server to pull back data and whatnot. That's when I really started to hop into front-end development. And I found that writing applications like this, and this was before there were spas and single-page apps, Mm -hmm. but just being able to make a request back to the server to pull back certain amounts of data and then update your screen in place. I like that idea of development, the client-server type development a lot better than generating my all my HTML on the server side and sending it back up and having to try to maintain state and stuff between how the page was then versus how it is now. Um, it's just a lot easier. And so I started to get into that. And then as more and more frameworks came out, I think the one of the first frameworks I was um, working in was like Backbone and Knockout. And I did a little bit with Kendo. Um, and then when AngularJS came out, I just kind of went all in on AngularJS. And that's kind of when I became mostly a front-end developer. That's awesome. I, I've heard, I should say, I've been working in web development for about five years now. So I kind of got in on the Angular train. And I know enough jQuery to be dangerous, but Angular is really where I started. So you started with, you were in on Angular. And then how did you progress to Ionic? Did you have a need for it? Or was it just something that you were interested in kind of learning more about? Yeah, so at the time I was working for a consulting company, and so we did a bunch of a bunch of different types of development. Uh, we tried to push Angular as our like standard for doing web applications, and then we had .NET for the backends. But then we were like, "What well, what are we going to be doing for mobile?" We did a little bit of native mobile stuff at the time, like Xamarin was starting to come out, and so we're looking at stuff like Xamarin. Um, and I had a coworker that went to the very first uh, Angular ng-conf. And she came back and she was like, hey, there's this library out there called Ionic that I saw a presentation on and you need to check it out. It's really cool. And I was like, okay. And I started playing around with it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is really cool. And we had this one project that uh, we worked on for a client. It was a pro bono. And it was like, it was, um, they, they put on a conference every year and every year we had to go and update. And these were native applications. And it was like a really big deal because we had to find people on our team that could do the native development. And that had time to do it since it was pro bono. It was almost like, hey, yeah, we're doing this, but you have to do it on your own time kind of deal. <laughs> so I, I took that app. We had an iOS and an Android app, and I rewrote it in Ionic, I think, like in a week. 
Wow. And and then we had like this code base that was used between the two. And like ever since then, I was like, okay, I love this. And so I was pitching it to the company and be like, this needs to be our our mobile choice. And we started to go with it and whatnot. And then when I left that company, I specifically looked for Ionic jobs. And so I was at another company doing Ionic. Uh, it was Ionic One Development at the time. And the way I landed at Ionic was, I think I was on Ionic's site and I was looking through the docs and stuff and then saw their little jobs link at the bottom of their website. And I'm like, oh, I'll click here. And I clicked it and it popped up and then said they were hiring a developer and remote was possible. I'm like, well, I'll throw my I'll throw my resume out there. I'd love to work for Ionic. And yeah, yeah I've got hooked up that way and it was awesome. Yeah. Well, and the history of Ionic is interesting because initially they were built on Cordova. They were focused on Angular. And then they they kind of figured out a lot of these pieces and made them a whole lot better. And with Stencil, it made it possible for them to build really terrific APIs for Vue and React yep. and yep. anything else, really. And that's that's the exciting part, right? That's that's where it was like, oh wow, anybody can do this anywhere, and they can pick their tools. Which is this is that's that's the nice thing. And the other thing is, is you really like Eli said, they're they're banking on web technologies, so you don't have to really go learn too much beyond what you're already learning until you actually go interface with something native. And that's just the reality of mobile no matter where you're living. And so, yeah, all in all, it's it's really exciting, really terrific. Yep. And even even if you're not going to do, be deploying on native devices, like we support progressive web apps really well. And so if you're interested in like developing a an app that uh, will look and um, run like a a native app, but as a progressive web app, Ionic is a great choice there as well. And then in that case, you don't have to worry about the native, the native stuff at all. And it's also it's also getting back to like the original vision of Ionic is empowering web developers everywhere, like no matter where you're at, to write apps. And that's a uh, that's another push that we're starting to make with uh, Capacitor, is that we're looking at um, embracing like other types of UI libraries outside of Ionic and be like, hey, if you're a Tailwind developer or if you're like any of the other types of frameworks out there, you're a Kendo developer or something like that, like you can take Capacitor and use it to make your app a mobile application or a progress web app and deploy it on all these devices as well. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it, the only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They, they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun and having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at reactroundup.com slash Raygun.
That's very cool. So how has that been trying to make it work with all of these different frameworks? I'm not on that team. And so I'm not too sure of their particular challenges, but I just like thinking about it from an outsider, like, I think it probably just works out of the box because all, all capacitor really does. So if like you're developing an application and you build it and it throws all of your assets into some type of build folder, all capacitor does is just takes that build folder and wraps it up into a native binary and launches it for you. And so like any, any framework out there or UI library that follows that pattern should kind of work with it. It's well, um, one of the things that we're trying to do is like, okay, you're, you're using your UI library now, but you might be missing some of the things that actually came with Ionic Framework. Like you might be missing a good action sheet or you might be missing a good menu system or an alert box or something like that. And so we're working on kind of like taking like bits and pieces of Ionic Framework and making them smaller components. So if you're using like material design and you want to throw up a action sheet that looks like a native mobile action sheet, you can import our library. Now you're not importing the entire Ionic Framework, you're just importing the portions of it that you need, but you can get that quickly. So what's the upgrade story? Because periodically, I mean, we're going to have updates to the framework, right? There's going to be stuff that comes down the pipe. I mean, we just had WWDC last month, right? And they announced new stuff and maybe there's new stuff in uh, capacitor that, you know, either fixes some things that they changed or adds new features that they made available. So when I go update, I mean, what does that look like? That's one of the big reasons why we wanted to like move to web components and, and then utilize that. So that way, when we release a new version of Ionic framework, our web components upgrade is decoupled from your framework library upgrade. And so we, we kind of follow the, the semantic versioning and we just had Ionic 5 come out a few months ago and its upgraded story was was pretty simple. It was like we provided a doc and uh, you followed it. So it was, it was nothing like an upgrade from like Ionic 1 to like Ionic 2. But the majority of that was upgrading from Angular JS to Angular, right? Right. And we're finding that, you know, since since Angular, that the upgrades to newer versions of the Angular framework have gotten, you know, definitely a lot easier. Like newer versions of Angular aren't, aren't complete rewrites like Angular 1 to Angular 2 was. And so that that's the majority of the upgrade pain, though, that we're seeing right now is like, okay, we're, we released Ionic 5. I think at the time, like it had... Angular 8 support, and then we quickly added Angular 9 support. And there was a little bit of a hurdle to upgrade from Angular 8 to 9, not because of Ionic, but because of stuff that you had to do in Angular as well. React has been a lot simpler. It seems like React um, upgrades, like we we haven't had a major version of React come out since we released Ionic React. But when it does, like it'll, we'll just need to make sure that we provide good documentation as the React developers do too. But like most of the stuff that you're going to have to be changing is stuff that has to do with React and not stuff that has to do with Ionic. So you said that Stencil was an open source project. Is Ionic also so the community could get involved? Oh yeah, definitely. So Ionic, um, the framework itself is a 100% free and open source uh, project. So feel free to, you know, grab it and download it. Got a very, very active community um, around Ionic and lots of, outside development that's happening with it as well. So if you're interested in getting started with open source, you can um, check out Ionic as a good place to um, to come look. 
So where are things going next with Ionic? Um, so the, I, I know the, the capacitor focus is um, uh, what we're mainly looking at right now. And so we're, we're working on making like capacitor more prominent in the hybrid ecosystem, uh, working with not only Ionic, but the other frameworks as well. And then we're uh, also working on Ionic View, which uh, we announced that uh, we're going to be putting a lot more effort in trying to get uh, a a release version of Ionic View out by this fall, hopefully. And yeah, just also working on new features in the framework um, as new versions of Angular React come out, making sure we're we're up to date with those. What does testing Ionic look like? Um, so a lot of that depends on your framework. And so I'll, I'll talk specifically about Ionic React. And so kind of like the Ion or React testing story, when you create a uh, a new Ionic app, uh, using our CLI, what we do is we actually use Create React App underneath the hood to create it. And then we basically just add our template um, for our pages and stuff into the project. And Create React App now by default comes with uh, Jest and React Testing Library. And so those are um, the good kind of like unit slash integration type testing that you can do with um, Ionic React. And I actually wrote a blog post about that a while back, throw a link into the show notes on it about uh, testing Ionic React with a React testing library and Jest. There are a a few hurdles um, that you have to go through since like Ionic is using web components and web components don't work all that great inside the JS DOM, uh, which it's getting better, but there's still like a few things that you have to do to get around some things. Um, So that blog post um, dives deep into that. And something that I've been doing here lately to actually test Ionic React, the framework itself, is using Cypress. And so I'll have a test app up and I use Cypress to kind of drive the web browser to do like testing my animations and transitions and making sure that pages go back and forth as I'm working on the framework. And so, yeah, uh, Cypress is another great, if you're looking at doing more end-to-end type testing, it's a great choice. That was going to be my next question about end-to-end test frameworks and uh-huh. Cypress. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I haven't I haven't used other ones, but I, I assume stuff like Selenium and, and whatnot work just as well uh, with Ionic React because at, at this point, like the fact that it's Ionic, the fact that it's React is kind of a moot point. You're just driving the browser and stuff like that. Yeah, we used Puppeteer for a while too. And that was, the syntax was a little bit rough to get used to and we ended up switching to Cypress, but... I'm sure it's probably similar. Right. I mean, you're talking about using something like Cypress that works on the progressive web app, but does it actually work on, you know, the native app? And I I just don't know that you're going to always have complete 100% feature parity, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And that's definitely as before I joined Ionic, when we were talking about using browser-driven tests, like, like, how do we do this? Do we test only worry about testing inside the browser? Do we have to worry about testing on the device? And... Um, our our realization was that uh, any type of testing is better than no testing. And so to get caught up in the conversation for too long isn't very productive. And what we ended up doing was uh, just testing in the browser. There are services out there like Sauce Labs and that will do browser testing or uh, device testing. Um, but it's a little bit harder because since Ionic is running inside of a web browser, not only do you need a provider that's going to give you device testing, but you also need to be able to drive that browser as well with something like a Selenium or Cypress or, or whatnot. And so to the best of my knowledge, Cypress doesn't quite support that right now. So my recommendation would be like, hey, if you can test in, inside the browser, test inside the browser, that's going to get you, you know, probably 90% of the way there. And if you have some type of edge cases that only manifest itself inside of a device, then probably manually check those 
for right, for right now. Or if you're doing things that access like device hardware, you need to make sure those get mocked out properly inside the web browser so that it's not trying to access like an API that it won't be able to access because it's not actually on a device. So what kinds of things have you seen people build with Ionic? So uh, out in the consumer space, um, one of the biggest apps that I know of that is built with Ionic is the Untapped app. And so if you're any t- if you're a beer enthusiast or whatnot, you might have um, used that app before, but it's kind of like the social media app that allows you to check the tasty adult beverages that you have while you're out and about and uh, share them. Um, some other apps are like Swerkit, the um, workout app um, is, a, is another good one. But really where we find like the sweet spot for Ionic is in like enterprise um, type development. And so if you're writing a an application you want it to be work on mobile as well. We're finding like lots and lots of enterprises. And so these are apps that may not ever make it out to the consumer app store. Maybe they're like behind like gated uh, stores, but, or distributed elsewhere, but lots and lots of enterprises are using Ionic to help speed up their mobile development as well. Is there anything else that we haven't asked you about that you think we should know about Ionic? I mean, for me, what, what, um, what what I really like about Ionic is that we we are trying to get closer to the user uh, to use us versus like having having a firm be like no you need to come to us to do it and so like we're saying like if you're a web developer we want to meet you where you're at if you're using Ionic or if you're using Angular if you're using React if you're using Vue if you're using just Vanilla JS like we want to meet you where you're at to help empower you to develop these kind of cool awesome applications that you want to develop so yeah that's my biggest thing that's a good one if, let's say that you know it's it's somebody like Paige five years ago when she got in or you know you when you just started to get over to you know get interested in this kind of development let's say that you get to a place or, or we have somebody listening and they're going you know this sounds really great this is something that i want to try do you have like a, a tutorial to get started or uh, you know some other process that people can go through to yeah yeah. So to, to get up and running is pretty easy. We have a CLI that you install via NPM and then use that to create a new app. And then on our docs, we have some pretty good getting started type tutorials. And we can throw a link to the to those in the show notes as well. But that would be my recommendation for somebody who wants to just uh, kick the tires on Ionic Project. Nice. If If people want more information or they want to connect with you, Eli, where do they go? Uh, you can find me at uh, most of the usual outlets, uh, Twitter, GitHub, whatnot, at Eli Lucas. And that is E-L-Y-L-U-C-A-S, not E-L-I. Not too sure if there's an E-L-I Lucas out there, but make sure you do E-L-Y. Um, you can also find me, um, I write about Ionic React occasionally on my blog, EliLucas.com. So check that out. Are you freelancing or moonlighting? Or maybe you've thought about going out on your own. Every week, we have a group of developers at various stages of the freelancing journey on The Freelancer Show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing, SEO, and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com. Cool. Well, this is the portion of the show where we move into picks. Um, We talk about, really, it could be anything. It could be a new technology, uh, a book, a movie, whatever is interesting to you that you think uh, the listeners would be interested to hear about. So Chuck, do you want to kick us off for this week? Sure. 
So I've got a couple of things I'm going to shout out about. The first one is my wife and I, this is, I actually built a mobile app for this. I built it with React Native, but my wife and I have been playing a game called Legendary. It's a Marvel cooperative game. Um, there's a Harry Potter cooperative game that we've played a lot of, and it's somewhat similar to that. Some of the mechanisms are different, obviously, but it's a lot of fun. And what we found was that they want you to pick like the heroes at random and the villains at random and so what we were doing before the app is we'd pull one of each kind of card out and then we'd fan them out and you'd, you know, randomly pick. And that turned out to be kind of a pain in the rear end, especially once we got a couple of expansions for the game. And so I just put together a, a spinner app. And so it randomly picks them for my wife because she's the one that is the, it has to be set up this way, it has to be pulled out this way, it has to be put away this way. That, that's her, that's not me. <laughs> so, um, so I put, put that together for her. Of course, now she has feature requests. So that's always <laughs> fun, right? You get feature requests from your main user who you also sleep with at night. So anyway, it, so that, that's been way fun, but that game is, is a lot of fun. Really have enjoyed that. And there are like 20 something expansions for it. So uh, is it a trading card game? No, it's, it's just a cooperative card game. And so oh. essentially what you do is you recruit heroes and then um and the heroes are just cards right and then you have villains and you have a mastermind villain like loki or dr doom and so what you wind up doing is you wind up and you have a scheme that they're trying to perpetrate and so you're trying to defeat the mastermind before he completes his scheme or she completes her scheme and and the schemes add different mechanisms to the game too right so it's, well, you can only kill these kinds of villains or defeat and not kill, but defeat. We always say kill when we play. I don't know why. But you can defeat these kinds of villains, you know, with uh, only under these circumstances, you know, due to the scheme or the scheme limits the amount of space you have for villains before you before they escape. Right. And then if so many escape, then the scheme, then you lost things like that. And the villains all have different. Uh, superpowers as well so if you pull a mastermind card for example or a master stroke card then it'll you know you have to discard a card or you have to gain a wound card or things like that so you're, you're playing out your hand out of a common deck and trying to try to see yeah that, that sounds really fun it does yeah it's yeah. it's a lot of fun i'm gonna pick that and yeah there's so many expansions too that you just kind of don't run out of interesting combinations to play on it's it's awesome. One other pick that I have is Code Canyon. So I was just kind of I, I always am looking for, you know, new ways or new angles to kind of get a jump start on this stuff. And Code Canyon is a place where people can put up like uh like sample apps basically that you can buy and then you can modify, right? And they had a bunch of ionic ones on there. I was looking for like music or podcast streaming apps, you know, because I've A, I want to build one because I'm there are features that I want that I can't get any of the app vendors that are out there to build into theirs. And I also want one for devchat.tv. And so, um, you know, I, I, I bought a React Native one a while back, but it turned out that the version of React Native was too old for me to compile on my computer. I was a little bit frustrated with that. The other thing is, is it wasn't the update to React Native as the update to one of the plugins on the app. And I couldn't quite figure out how to get around that because I'm not an expert there. Um, but there are some pretty up-to-date options if you're looking for kind of a, a jump start or a template. I usually buy it because I'm terrible at design and it comes pre-designed, right? And then I can update it and I can modify the interface from there. But you can find some really great uh, samples and stuff that are written in Ionic 
for that on Code Canyon. That's codecanyon.net. And then the last one I'm going to pick is a book that I've been reading. I'm, I'm always reading books. Uh, I, I can't get enough of them for whatever I'm trying to learn. The one that I've been listening to lately is called High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard. And he talks about, they did all these studies and surveys and talked to high performers and basically boiled it down to six things that you can do. I mean, they're, they're not like, oh, you know, start working out every day, right? But it's, there are six areas of life that you, if you focus on those and get those up to a high level, then you will be much more likely to be a high performer. And so that's kind of led me to, okay. And some of these I'd been working on before, but it was like, okay, I'm going to actually finish this. You know, one of which is like my, my vision for where I want to end up with my life and my career and, and stuff like that. And he just walks you through, okay, here's how you get clarity in your life. Here's how you get energy. Here's how you get anyway. So, so there, those, that's two of the six areas. Those are the first two he talks about, but terrific, terrific book. And he actually has a high performance indicator book or test that you can go take for free. And it'll tell you what areas you're weak in. And then you can go and knock, you know, work on that stuff. So for me, the the one area was clarity. And I, like I said, I've been working on that vision, but I never finished it. And just having that vision there and being able to then go back to it and say, yes, this is what I still want. helps me keep focus on what I'm doing that isn't a distraction. So anyway, those are my picks. Yeah, that sounds like something a lot of us could probably revisit right now because I think myself included, I've kind of lost focus on everything, a lot of things because of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. it's a good yeah, way to refocus. It's, it's easy to do. It's it's kind of, I think it's just human nature. And right now we have so many loud voices about a handful of issues that it's really easy to get sucked in because it's everywhere. Like a lot of times it's, oh, well, there's this little thing going on in the React community that, you know, ends in a week or two, right? Everybody's screaming, then everybody goes away. But this is persistent and it's pervasive. And that makes it harder, I think. Yeah, for sure. So I will go next. I just have one pick this week and it's kind of a big one, but it is a Traeger uh, wood-fired grill. My husband's birthday is coming up soon and he's been all about getting a new grill. So he's been doing a ton of research, which is how he typically makes any decision like this. Uh, And the Traeger grill seems to be the one that's coming out on top. It is a grill that is, you give it wood pellets and then it smokes or it can smoke, it can sear, it can you know, do pretty much everything it seems like. So we're going to be purchasing one of those, but from everybody that I've talked to who already has one, they cannot say enough good things about it. So I'm very excited to try it out and see, see how well it works, but that's what I'm going to pick for this week. I think it'll be a good addition to the summer grilling that we do. See, now I'm jealous. (laughs) My brother has a Traeger and, um, it, it is it is so nice. I mean, I have a smoker and I have a grill, but they're separate devices. And I know a lot of people that, yeah, what they do is they smoke their meat for however long and then they turn it up to sear it. They sear mm-hmm. it and they're done. And for me to do that, I actually have to pull it out of my smoker and then stick it on my grill. Yeah. And the, the Traegers are, I mean, most smokers are, you can just set it and forget it. Oh, so nice. And the, 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 the food that comes off those things are, is so good. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying the smoked flavor because our current grill is just a gas grill, which is great. Mm-hmm. But everybody, you know, talks about how much better 
the smoked taste is. Yeah. So I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, me too. I've definitely been grilling a lot more over the past few months and looking looking for more. <laughs> <laughs> so Eli, what are your picks for today? All right. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback on one of uh, Chuck's picks. Um, um, I recently started listening to an audio book called uh, Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. And so talking about uh, habits and whatnot, and I'm only, I'm only probably a third of the way through it right now, but I really like um, the system that he has. His, his, he has this process that he calls a MAP, and it stands for motivation. The P is prompt, and the A is ability. And so it's it talking about either like trying to form a new habit or trying to break an old habit. Like you need all three of those. Like you need the motivation to do it, you need the ability to do it, and you need a prompt either a prompt to start a new habit or a prompt that makes it so that uh, you're going to break an old habit. And uh, that's really resonating with me. Another one, kind of more on the uh, personal side, big fan of book uh, Ready Player One. And I uh, recently saw that uh, Ready Player Two is going to come out this November. And so I'm really excited about that. I'm hoping that the, the movie doesn't kill my enthusiasm too much for it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so hope it's uh, hope it's uh, really good. And then a third pick is just uh, dogs. <laughs> I got a dog, and like this entire time I'm, I'm talking, and she's just like going crazy here in the background. Like, who are you talking to, and why aren't you playing with me and stuff like that? So she's just cracking me up like this whole this whole podcast. So yeah, <laughs> I want to pick dogs as well. That's a great one. I love. We have a Slack channel at work where people post their pictures of their dogs and cats, and that is absolutely my favorite channel by far. Uh huh. <laughs> Oh. people's pets are the best oh she's just over there chilling now <laughs> yeah i'm trying to convince my wife to let me get a dog she does not want a dog oh i'm sure i'm sure you can wear her down <laughs> yeah part of wearing her down she did tell me that we could get a dog if we got the rest of the yard fenced in so i have about a 10 foot stretch that i got to put a gate on and then we're done there you go so very important <laughs> Well, very cool. Thanks for coming on. With yeah, Eli's. thanks everyone for uh, having me. Uh, had a blast, and uh, yeah. Well, I guess we will see everybody in our next episode of React Roundup. Thanks for joining. Yeah, max out everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.